Welcome to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My name is Jonathan Edwards, and I serve as a pastor at the Grace Brethren Chapel located in Northwest Ohio. The goal of this podcast is to teach God's truth and how to apply it accurately to one's life so that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed as you contemplate God's word. Greetings, saints and fellow bond slaves of Jesus Christ. I trust that your time in the Word and your study has been well, that you've been challenged by the things that you're learning from the Scriptures, and I pray that you're able to put them into practice in your life. Now today, in this episode, we want to examine one of the greatest lies that Satan has ever told. And let's be honest, we as Christians sometimes forget that we have a spiritual enemy who is waging war against us. I think as Christians, we recognize that there are spiritual forces of darkness. We recognize and acknowledge the person of Satan, but we sometimes fail to consider how how great of a depth that he plays in disrupting life, in distorting God's truth, in deceiving and in empowering the unbelievers of this world to reject and to rebel against the truth that God has clearly laid out for everyone to see in the Scriptures. And I know that not every nation has the Scriptures, but God has also uh, created what we call general revelation, which is just the very nature of creation itself, the very existence of creation, the existence of earth, the existence of the stars, the existence of the sun, and all that we see see around us, that is his general revelation, and it points to a designer. And Satan is a powerful agent who deceives people and helps to lead them astray from God's truth. And Satan works hand in hand with the sin nature that we are born with. You know, in Psalm 139, David says, in sin, my mother conceived me. That doesn't mean that his mother uh, was sinning in her relationship with David's father, Jesse. What it means is, from the moment of my conception, from the very moment that the, the egg and sperm joined together, I was a sinner. I inherited a sin nature. And our own individual sin nature already gives us a rebellious attitude towards God. And what Satan does is he plays upon our sin nature. He uh, amplifies our sin nature. He gives us additional reasons to reject God and to reject God's truth. For this reason, Jesus, when he was talking to the Pharisees in John chapter uh, 8, says this, to the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day. He says this, You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, notice Jesus didn't say that Satan doesn't know the truth. He says there is no truth in Satan. Does Satan know the truth? Absolutely. You better believe that Satan knows the truth. In fact, 
when Satan came to tempt Jesus, we find in, uh, I believe it's Matthew chapter 4, Mark chapter 3, or maybe Mark chapter 2, in those accounts of the temptation of Jesus, Satan used the truth of the Word of God to tempt Jesus to sin. And Jesus countered Satan again from the Word of God. What did Satan do? Did he not know the truth? No, he knew the truth, but what he did is he misquoted the truth. He took the truth out of context. He took the truth and he twisted it. So Satan knows the truth, but he cannot speak the truth. He cannot stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of lies. And today we are going to discuss one of the greatest lies that Satan has ever told. Now let me begin by setting the stage for this particular lie. This particular lie that we're going to discuss today has its origins um, over 150 years ago, okay? And the origins of the lie that's being told today were found or are found in the lie that was told in the 1800s, the lie of evolution or the natural evolution of species as promoted by Charles Darwin. Basically, the lie of evolution states that all creation, all that we see and we know as creation, came about by an accident, and that one species evolved from itself to another species. This is known as macroevolution. So it's evolution from one species to another. Microevolution is species uh, evolving within the same species. So you could have a microevolution where one uh, type of bird develops a certain color pattern because it lives in a certain region. That would be microevolution in, in that the bird species didn't change, but you see it externally looks different, okay? That's not what we're talking about. The lie that Satan promoted is the lie that we came from, from other species, okay? We came about by accident. We came about through some type of Big Bang. So there's the Big Bang Theory, which is the origin of the universe. There is the lie of evolution or the theory of evolution. Um, but I repeat myself, <laughs> These, this lie has set the stage for a number of other lies that Satan has told in the last 150 years. And when you, when you go uh, and believe the lie of evolution, it basically makes us out to be um, individual elements who are functioning as sentient beings who have no history and no future. We live, we move, we exist for the 70, 80, or 90 years that we're on this earth, and then poof, once we die, we're gone. So there's no eternal consequences. There's nothing attaching me to the future. There's nothing that points back to my past. I'm just here. I'm just here. And the effect of this, the effect of this lie is that people began to reason, well, if I'm just here for 70 or 80 or 90 years, why don't I live to serve my own self-interest? Why don't I structure my life? Why don't I live in such a way that will allow me to get every possible moment of pleasure that I can out of these few short years that I have on earth. Because once I die, I'm, I'm done. That's it. I'm over. 
And the, the lie of evolution, the lie about our origins, led to really what is known as postmodern thinking. Postmodernism is a type of philosophy of thought that basically teaches that truth is subjective and your own personal fulfillment is your highest good or is the highest good in life. Now, I would say that the, the threads and the seeds of postmodernism were present in scholarly philosophical writings from the mid to late 1800s on in through the early 1900s, but postmodernism really came to the forefront in European thought after World War II and shortly thereafter was imported into the American intellectual system, which would be the college, the college education system. And in the college education system, the ideas of postmodernism, that truth is subjective, that truth is relative, that you have your own truth, this began to kind of take root. And it, it's honestly taken a couple of generations to really take root because in the 1970s, in the late 60s, 70s, when this was imported into the United States, you had a, a number of professors in the college campus who were basically very old school. They were of uh, what we would call the Enlightenment period. They believed in reason. They believed in science, like hard science, okay? Science that can be actually proven. And so those individuals were resistant to a postmodern worldview because they would say, well, truth is not subjective. Truth is objective when we use science to determine what truth is. As those, as that generation of professors and another generation of professors uh, went off the scene, either they retired, um, they left the education industry, whatever the, the case might be, those who were under them, those who were being educated and then got into teaching, they adopted the postmodern worldview. And I dare say that you could not go to a, a college today, a secular college, and find out that 95% of the professors don't uh, have a postmodern worldview. All right, that may, that may have been confusing for some of you. Let me state this a little bit more clearly. I would bet that 95% of professors in colleges at secular universities have a postmodern worldview where they believe truth is subjective. Truth is whatever is your own personal fulfillment as the highest good. Truth is whatever gets you. That's truth. And so this postmodern mindset has filtered down from the higher education system, like the colleges and universities, to the uh, primary education system, which is our K-12 through institution. And, and now students who are going to K-12 through institutions are being exposed to postmodern thinking. They are being told truth is subjective. Do whatever feels best to you. What's true for you may not be true for your friend, but you can both have your own truth and live your best life, and that's great. How did this come about? Again, because Satan told one of his greatest lies, that evolution is how we got here. And because of that, we have no idea where we're going in the future. We're just living for today. So the lie of evolution, in some ways, led to the rise of postmodern thinking. 
and the rise of postmodern thinking has now allowed Satan, at this very juncture in history, to promote one of the other greatest lies that he has ever told, and that lie is that a male can become a female, or a female can become a male. This lie is the lie of transgenderism. Transgenderism is when a male claims to be a female, or a female claims to be a male. This is a subjective self-identification. Notice, subjective. You may look at your body and say, I have female parts. I have female reproductive organs. But internally, mentally, emotionally, you're saying, I feel like a male. And so therefore, I am going to choose to identify as a male. Biology is wrong. What I feel is correct. You see how we've moved from the objective realm? Biology is objective. You're a a female. To the subjective realm, I feel this way, and therefore I want to identify this way. Transgenderism is a self-identification, which is subjective. And you cannot argue with somebody who is going to self-identify subjectively. It's, it's almost impossible to argue with them because they're just going to say to you, well, I feel this way, I feel this way, I feel this way. And I think because of the fact that it is very difficult to argue with somebody who is uh, practicing subjective reasoning, who is living with a postmodern worldview, because of the difficulty of, of arguing with them, it's almost easier to do what our culture has chosen to do, which is to accept them and to affirm them, and to say, yes, of course, whatever you think you are is right for you. And, and let's just think about why they would affirm the sin of transgenderism, because transgenderism is a sin. All right, why would they affirm the sin of transgenderism? They affirm it because they also want to sin in their own uh, subjective ways. They also want to sin in ways that feel good to them, and if they call one person's sin out as sin, then they might have to say, hmm, there might be an objective standard that tells me my sin is wrong too. So you have in the, um, in the lie of transgenderism. So all these things have come together at this particular moment in time for the lie of transgenderism to be one that is accepted by the vast majority of people in the United States and other Western cultures, even though, according to Pew Research, who did a survey in June of 2022, only 1.6% of U.S. adults identify as transgender. But it's accepted. It's accepted by nearly everybody, even though only 1.6% of adults identify as such. This speaks to the total depravity that we have, to the total inability that we have to call sin, sin, and the total desire that we have to affirm somebody else's sin so that somebody can affirm our sin. Now, when I was doing the research on the issue of transgenderism, um, the Pew Research stat that I just gave you was one of the few stats that looked at just transgender individuals by themselves. More commonly, transgender individuals are lumped into the lesbian, gay, bisexual community. And 
We know that by the acronyms LGBTQIA, and now they have some more things on the end of it, okay? But LGBTQ, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer or questioning, and then I'm not, I can't keep up with all the other things they've added onto that. But in doing the research on the number of people who would identify under the LGBTQ banner, in 2022, I found this um, stat, statistic from a Gallup poll, okay? In 2022, there were 7.1% of adults in the United States who identified under the LGBTQ banner. So whether they're lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender, they 7.1% of adults who were surveyed identified this way. Now, this is very interesting when you do a breakdown by generation, okay? So the greatest generation who was born before 1946, this was typically those who fought in World War II, 0.8% of the greatest generation identified as LGBT. Now, the baby boomers about double that. From These are those who were born 1946 to 1964, 2.6% identify as LGBTQ. Moving to the next generation, Gen X, who were born between 1965 and 1980, 4.2% identify as LGBTQ. Millennials, of which I am one, proudly a millennial. Uh, born between 1981 and 1996, 10.5% identify as LGBTQ. Gen Z, which is the generation after me, these are those who are born between 1997 and 2003. Um, and, and the reason why 2003 is the cutoff is because this survey was only looking at adults. So these are the oldest members of Gen Z, the Gen Z adults, 20.8% identify as LGBTQ. If you were paying attention to that statistical report, the statistics or the the number of those who identify as LGBTQ about doubles in every generation from 0.8 to 2.6, from 2.6 to 4.2, from 4.2 to 10.5, and then from 10.5 to 20.8. What accounts for this rapid increase in self-identification? What accounts for it? Well, I would say the rapid rise and the rapid increase in self-identification speaks to the power of the postmodern worldview. The postmodern worldview has now totally permeated American cultural society. It has permeated the society to such a degree that Gen Z is totally willing to unhitch from any biological or scientific realities and identify as whatever they feel like on any given day. And, and it doesn't just happen with the LGBTQ movement, all right? Unfortunately, there are members of Gen Z who identify as furries. These are those who, these are individuals who identify as an animal and want to be treated like an animal, and they dress like an animal, they they act like animals. This is unheard of. But it is the natural consequence of the postmodern worldview. And because of the postmodern worldview, Satan 
was able to promote one of his greatest lies, the lie of transgenderism. Now, what is this a lie against? Of course, we've already mentioned natural biology. It's a lie against natural biology because when you, uh, when a baby is born, the doctor and the nurses or the midwife, they look at the child and they say, this child has male reproductive organs or this child has female reproductive organs and it's a boy if it has male reproductive organs, it's a girl if it has female reproductive organs. And for most of history, that's been that. That's been that. But today, today we have parents who are saying, don't put a gender identification on the birth certificate. My child will choose his gender when he's ready to choose their gender, or my child will choose her gender when she's ready to choose her gender. We are living in a time period where people are now viewing sex as biology and gender as social construct. What does that mean, social construct? It means that you act a certain way according to the male gender because society tells you to act that way. Or if you identify as the female gender, you act a certain way because society tells you that you are to act this way as a female. And um, social constructs are things that can change within a society as societies grow and evolve uh, and and either have a greater understanding of truth or a lesser understanding of truth. Social constructs are different for different societies and different cultures. But today, the lie is that gender is a social construct, and so people should choose their own gender when they're ready, and we should affirm their gender choice. Whereas in time gone by, in previous periods of history, gender and biology were always the same. It was a very rare exception, very rare exception that um, biology and gender were different. In fact, in, according to the DSM manuals, a DSM stands for the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. According to the DSM manual, like number one through four, Transgenderism was, was uh, characterized as a mental health issue. It was a mental disorder. But now in the DSM-5, the most recent manual, transgenderism is no longer listed as a mental health disorder. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to make a statement on whether I agree or disagree with the DSM. I'm just saying the DSM is a secular production. It is, a, it is produced by people who are secular. They're, they're not Christians. They're godless, okay? And even people who are not Christians, who are godless, who have a non-biblical worldview, recognize that there was something wrong with transgenderism in manuals one through four. But now all of a sudden in manual five, there's not a, there's not an, a problem, with transgenderism. It's no longer a mental health issue. And so the lie continues to strengthen. The lie continues to strengthen because when the medical community cannot diagnose such as a disorder, now it's approved. Now we can start treating mental health illnesses as if they are actual biological illnesses. Do you see the difference? 
We are treating a mental health illness, which is an issue of psychology, an issue of thinking, an issue of rationale. We're now treating those things like they are a physical issue, as if you broke your leg and we need to repair your leg. Now we're treating transgenders in the same way. Well, uh, there must be something physically wrong with you because you identify as trans. And so we're going to affirm gender uh, transition surgery for you. One of the uh, radio hosts that I like to listen to who does another podcast likes to refer to this as meatball surgery. And that's probably a good term because you're basically taking the God-designed organ, the God-designed sex organ, and you are either chopping it off, rearranging it, cutting it up. You're doing something to um, desecrate that which God has created you to have. That's what you're doing when you do gender-affirming surgery or gender-affirming care. It's wrong. And where does this actual lie have its roots, all right? We know that Satan is the father of lies. He is the one who has promoted this lie. He is behind the lie. Where in Scripture does it come from? Well, we have to go all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to the book of Genesis, And uh, just as a matter of course, this is why it's important to believe the Bible as actual literal history that explains precisely where we came from and who we are responsible to and where we are going. Because if if we don't believe that about the Bible, then your view is as good as my view. There's no authority that speaks on the issue of where we came from, where we're going, why are we here? And again, that's why I shared at the very beginning of this episode that Satan, to get to this point where Satan could tell the lie of transgenderism, Satan first had to start with the lie of evolution, denying the existence of God and the power of God as the creator. And so Satan, having accomplished that, now turns to another truth that God established at the very beginning in the book of Genesis and he is, he is twisting and perverting that truth to create the lie of transgenderism. Here's what God said. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Verse 27. God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. So God created man and woman. He created male and female. He didn't create us to be on a scale of gender. He didn't create 72 genders or 46 genders or 107 genders or however many genders they identify today. He didn't create people who were quote-unquote non-binary, okay? Non-binary means I'm neither male nor female. I'm somewhere in the middle. He didn't create that. He created specifically male and female. And Satan is using the same tactic today that he used with Eve in the Garden of Eden. He's using the exact same tactic. What did he say? What did he say to Eve? Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? What did Satan do? He quoted God 
90% accurately. He took God's word and quoted 90% of it, but that 10% was the lie. God did not forbid them to eat from any tree in the garden. God only forbade them to eat from one tree. God said, don't eat from this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the only command. And Satan twisted, perverted it. Indeed, has God said. So if we were going to put this into context of the transgender ideology, the transgender lie that Satan is telling, we would say that Satan said, indeed, has God said there are only two genders that I have created? Am I not a God of love? Am I not a God of acceptance? You can identify however you want to, and I will accept you. I will love you. And this, my friends, is a lie that has not only been accepted by culture, but it is a lie that has also been accepted by many in the so-called church. You see, there are some in the church who want to affirm that gender confusion exists. There are some who want to be loving towards those who identify as transgender. There are some in the church who want to uh, care for them. And, And to be honest with you, we should care for them. But we need to care for them according to God's objective standard of truth, not according to the philosophy and the attitudes that are found in the secular culture that we live within. So to put this more plainly, what we need to say, what we need to say as a church, as a Christian responding to this issue, we cannot say that it's loving to call them by the gender that they choose to identify with. We cannot say, well, Jesus doesn't condemn it, so therefore we don't condemn it. We cannot say, well, you have to meet this person where we're at in order to have a conversation with them or to open up a dialogue. No, the reality is that by calling somebody the wrong gender, you are complicit in the lie of transgenderism. If you call somebody who is a female, a male, then you are complicit in the lie of transgenderism. And it is never a good strategy to lie to somebody in order to win them to the truth. That's never a good strategy. That's not the strategy Jesus used, not the strategy Paul used, not the strategy Peter or any of the other apostles used. If you want to win somebody to the truth, you need to speak the truth to them they need to be able to see the difference between how you talk to them and how other so-called Christians talk to them and how the secular world talks to them. The Bible clearly says God created male and female. And to acknowledge otherwise or to call somebody different than that violates God's commandment to not lie to them. In fact, I um, recently, while I was doing the research for this podcast, came across uh, an article written by a lady who is a Christian named Rosaria Butterfield, and I would, uh, I've encountered her in the past, and I had always thought her to be kind of a, what I would call a liberal Christian, a progressive Christian. Uh, She used to be a lesbian feminist, and she was converted to Christ, and in her own testimony, she admits that her Uh, path of sanctification was rather slow. And recently she wrote an article saying uh, basically this, 
I no longer use transgender pronouns. Here's why. And I wanted to read to you some of the things from this article because I think it helps to clarify the issue of why we as Christians should not use transgender pronouns when talking to people who are transgender. Using transgender pronouns, she says, is a sin against the ninth commandment and encourages people to sin against the tenth commandment. Now, let me read those to you really quick so that, you know, your, your memory is jogged as to what those two commandments are. So the ninth commandment, found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And uh, Exodus twenty seventeen, this is the tenth commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So telling a, a female that they are in fact a male is a lie against them. And it also encourages them to continue coveting that which is not theirs. In other words, they are not the male gender. And to tell them that they are male encourages their continual coveting. Next, she says this, and I've already discussed this point, but I think it's very pertinent. Using transgendered pronouns is a sin against the creation ordinance, which we already discussed in Genesis chapter 1. God made them male and female. Using transgendered pronouns is a sin against image-bearing. In unique ways, the male bears the image of God, and the female also bears the image of God. And God made them separate and distinct for his glory for his purposes. And using transgendered pronouns is a sin against that. Um, Using transgendered pronouns discourages a believer's progressive sanctification and falsifies the gospel. Using transgendered pronouns cheapens redemption, and it tramples on the blood of Christ. Using transgendered pronouns fails to offer genuine Christian hospitality and instead yields the definition of hospitality to liberal communitarianism, identity politics, and quote-unquote human flourishing. She says, I have done all these things in the past, and for that I repent, and I commend her for repenting of this particular sin. I commend her for being subject to the scriptures and sitting under the truth of God's word. And you, Christian, if you're listening to this, you also need to be subject to the truth of God's word. You also need to be subject to the laws and ordinances that God has established. And you should not feel, uh, I'm sorry, you are going to feel pressure to give in on this issue, but you should not give in on this issue because it's God's issue, not our issue. God is the one who has created these ordinances. God is the one who has created male and female. And so we need to make sure that we are saying, I, I, re- I respect you. I love you. I think that you are made in the image of God, but I am not going to pervert what God has designed in order to make you feel better. I'm going to tell you the truth. You are a male, not a female. You are a female, not a male. I am not going to use your preferred pronouns. I think that uh, one of the other stories that I read, and I can't find it, I was looking for it for this article, 
One of the other stories that I read, uh, it was a deconversion story. And it was basically a, 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 a woman who identified as a man and then deconverted back to being a woman. So she detransitioned back. She, in her testimony, says, I was so angry at the very beginning of my journey that uh, the Christians that I knew, the Christians that I grew up with in church, would not call me by my preferred pronouns. But after a while in my journey, once I realized the error of my ways and I started started the process of detransition, I finally realized that those Christians who did not call me by my preferred pronouns were the only ones who didn't lie to me through the entire ordeal. Think about that as a Christian. Your testimony hinges on the fact that you will speak what God speaks no more and no less. That could be the power. That could be the difference. Despite all the societal pressure upon you, despite Uh, the media pressure, despite the political pressure, despite corporate pressure, despite peer pressure, speaking what God speaks will result in you being a man or a woman of integrity, one who has high character, one who is able to communicate clearly. And when that person comes to their real point of need, when you offer the gospel, it's not going to appear as another quote-unquote cheap solution. Gender-affirming care is a cheap solution to the lie of transgenderism. It's an unwillingness to deal with the lie. It's an unwillingness to deal with cultural and societal pressure. Gender-affirming care is exactly what Satan wants people to do because it continues to push them away from God and drive them away from the truth. We as Christians must stand firm. We must say, you are not a transgender person. You are a male. You are a female. I love you, but what you are doing is actually called sin. Just like any other sin. It's heinous, of course. Is it an abomination? Of course. Is it a desecration? Of course. There are a lot of sins that are abominations, desecrations, so forth and so on. In fact, there are even the smallest sin, according to James chapter 2. One sin is enough for you to have violated the entire law of God and to find yourself in a place of eternal judgment because the wrath of God must be poured out on those who are sinners and who have not repented of their sins. Now, perhaps you're listening to this today as somebody who is a transgendered person, who identifies as transgender. And I would plead with you, recognize that you are under the wrath of God for your sin and that God is a vengeful God, he is a just God, and he will punish sin for all of eternity. And he has to do that because he is a holy God. That means he's perfect, he's sinless. We cannot measure up to his perfect, holy standard. We all fall short. We have all sinned, and therefore, God had to make a provision for us, and he did that through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who was the God-man, he is the second member of the triune God. 
He was born of the Virgin Mary. He alone lived a perfect, sinless life and was the appropriate sacrifice that God would accept to pay the sin debt of all the people in the entire world. And he did that on the cross of Calvary when he shed his blood for your sins and my sins. He shed his blood to pay for the sins of the most wicked sinner and most vile sinner that you could ever think of who's ever lived on the face of this earth. Think about the dictators of the 20th century, Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, Pol Pot, uh, anyone else that you want to think of, Saddam Hussein. Yes, Jesus shed his blood to pay even for their sins. So, of course, Jesus' blood will cover your sins as well. Not just cover, but take away. And that, my friends, is an amazing truth. And so Jesus is the answer if you're searching. Jesus is the answer. In his death, he paid the price for sin, but in his resurrection that happened on the third day, God proved that he would keep the promise to send the sin away and to break the curse and power of sin. Jesus' resurrection proves that death no longer is the victor. Life, life is the reward for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. My fellow Christian, if you know somebody who is transgender, and I think at this point, I, I, don't, I can't think of a single person in my sphere of influence who does not know at least one individual who identifies as transgender. My fellow Christian, do not lie to them by calling them by the wrong pronouns. My fellow Christian, keep preaching the gospel to them. Keep offering the hope of Jesus Christ. Lean on 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. That well-known passage of Scripture talks about how those who are um, drunkards, effeminate, homosexual, idolatrous, covetous, they're not going to get into the kingdom of heaven. But such were some of you. See, we all were in that camp, but such were some of you. But what happened to us? We were washed, we were justified, we were cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the resurrection that God performed through him. My friends, we must stand firm on this issue. We must recognize that this is spiritual warfare and we are fighting it against the very spiritual forces of darkness itself. Satan wants to win the battle. Satan thinks he has won the battle, but we must stand firm in our local churches, as individuals, in our families. We cannot go along, and we cannot just stick our heads in the sand and hope that the issue passes. We must preach and teach and stand firmly on these facts, that God made male and female, and God intended male and female, but Satan who is a liar and the father of lies, is perverting God's original design and intention. Do not give up that fact. Do not overlook that truth. Do not think that this is just some passing issue. It's an issue. It's an issue that could determine someone's eternal destiny. Would you commit yourself to being in the fight through prayer, 
through testimony, through being outspoken. Do what you must. Do what you must to promote God's truth and God's design as you have opportunity. I hope that you were challenged and blessed by this. I hope that you think carefully about these truths and that you can find ways to apply them in your life. Thank you for listening to this extended episode of the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. God bless you.